Hi, Brent. Hello. So nice you're you. a historian and a museum administrator. Yes. And now you're spearheading this project to create a museum for Sing Sing. Yes. Yes, I'm I'm uh, I'm talking to you from Washington DC and um where I I served as the uh, for near, nearly a decade as the director of the National Museum of American History at the Smithsonian Institution. Um my backdrop here is uh the Great Hall of the National Building Museum where I also served as an interim director but as you said I'm uh, most engaged right now uh in developing a museum in Ossining New York at Sing Sing uh prison about Sing Sing prison and it's a phenomenal uh opportunity to merge uh, a number of my interests that have uh, developed over the years and I look forward to talking to you about it Great, great. And so, uh, yes, thank you for pointing out the backdrop, because it's such a contrast uh, with the, uh, the, the, the tight, narrow uh, environment of being in a prison. And um, what, you know, the, the picture itself gives an idea of the size. But you mentioned to me something that I found very striking earlier, something about how the, the replica of the Globe Theater uh, yes. What's the place you want to say a little bit about it? Yeah, so the Great Hall um, of the uh, National Building Museum is is um, this building dates from the 1880s uh, when it was built as the pension building for the, the uh, for the U.S. Uh, Civil War veterans to come and collect their pensions, um, uh, having served in the war. But it also was built on a grand scale to serve as a uh, a great event space, an exhibition space. Um, and one of the recent uh, exhibitions in the Great Hall was a, uh, a performance of uh, Shakespeare's Mid Midsummer Night's Dream, which we uh, collaborated uh, with the uh, Folger Shakespeare Library here in Washington and built a replica of the, of the Globe Theater uh, uh, during last summer, summer uh, 20, uh, 2022. And uh, just an example of how how wonderful this uh, space is for uh, public events, exhibitions, and even uh, private uh, uh, anniversaries and parties. Yeah, so that uh, the whole Globe Theater very easily fit within that yes. large space. Yes. And so, so uh, you know, in my mind, it functions as a metaphor for us speaking from the outside and having space. Uh, and talking about the experience of people inside and having no space. Right. Uh, and, yeah. and, and so uh, maybe just uh, maybe that could segue yeah. into uh, what is the role of a museum in bringing the experience of that kind of no space to people who have space? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. And I think what intrigues me about about the Sing Sing Prison Museum is that it it uh, can generate thought, thoughtful conversation about uh, fundamental uh, questions about justice and about uh, freedom and liberty and uh, what what is a just society and um, I think um, because of Sing Sing's iconic uh, 
reputation uh, as one of the oldest and most uh, impactful and influential places of incarceration in the world, um, this is a, a good opportunity to use the history of Sing Sing um, and, its, and its physical development as a resource to understand our own our own times. Yeah. Um, so the question of, of physical space is very interesting to me and how uh, the architecture of confinement uh, plays a very big role in um, the development of, of carceral, carceral uh, institutions uh, in this country and, and around the, the rest of the world. And Sing Sing's uh, the, one of the singular um, developments at Sing Sing, and it really was, it started in Auburn, New York, which is another New York State prison uh, near Syracuse, but it was developed on a larger scale and that is the concept of cellular confinement. Individual cells, very small, three feet and three inches wide, um, seven feet uh, long, six and a half feet high. Um, and the idea of an individual cell as opposed to congregate uh, confinement where people were put into uh, uh, an open uh, um, air plaza or an open area and live together in those in those conditions that was considered a step forward um in the 1820s um and, and was um uh, but that but unfortunately that concept has not evolved very much the cells are a little bit bigger there is uh indoor plumbing uh there is electricity um but they're, the concept of, of cellular confinement is still pretty much the model um, for um, prisons in, in this country and in, around the rest of the world, with some notable exceptions in uh, Germany and some of the Scandinavian countries. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the word cell, of course, uh, is also what we use to describe the experience of monks. Um, so, uh, you know, there is a difference between, you know, the, the chosen vocation of being a monk and being a prisoner. Yes. Yeah, that's a great point. And it, it um, I think the idea of, of the voluntary versus the involuntary is a fundamental uh, question. But the impact um, can be studied, uh, the impact of living in solitude or in uh, silence. Uh, that was part of what was called the Auburn system. Um, so not only were the men in, um, incarcerated in individual cells, but they were required to be silent, uh, both in, in their cells and when they were out working um, in um, and various occupations around the prison, uh, which included uh, breaking up rock in uh, nearby quarries, producing uh, small items like hats and belts and shoes. Eventually, they, they even had a, a cast iron stove production facility at the prison in the late 19th century. Um, and so the, the idea of using the prison as an economic um, uh, an economic uh, production uh, facility was very much uh, um, 
motivating the, uh, at least in New York state, and I'm sure in other states, uh, motivated uh, the the creation of the prison and its uh, and sustaining it. They they imagined that the the prisons would be self supporting, um, that they would have very very low cost uh, labor, um, and would compete successfully to um, uh, produce enough uh, goods that would be sold and would would uh, serve to support the operations of the prison. By the late 1880s and 1890s, however, uh, labor unions and other manufacturers began to object about the unfair competition from the cheap labor of of a prison. And so New York State and and many other states began to pass laws that prohibited um, the sale of of products made in the prison, except for what was called state use. So only state agencies um, in New York State could could per, after the around the 1895 and 96 um, only state agencies could produce um, could could uh, purchase uh, products made in state prisons coincidentally uh, the automobile began to become uh, more popular by the early 20th century and were being mass produced by Henry Ford and others um, and the, these these um, these uh, um, vehicles needed license plates, um, and um, the manufacture of license plates became associated with prisons. Not so much Sing Sing, but in Auburn and other state prisons. But Sing Sing, we, we've we've acquired some really interesting catalogs uh, that the state of New York produced in the early 20th century, uh, advertising. Uh, some of the products made in New York uh, prisons, um, furniture and clothing and and quite a wide variety, but it was only for state use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so in a sense, then there was an economic role in the prison as part of um, yes. uh, paying for themselves. Yeah. Um, what you said earlier about the role of a museum is to use the past to have questions about the present. And yes. the questions we can have, and you mentioned something about the, what is justice and what is, you know, how do how does incarceration function within it? And it's obviously one area that is very complex and no simple answer can be found in one direction or another. So, um, you know, obviously we're not going to try and look for answers today, but do you want to give a little bit of a tour of the kinds of questions that this raises? Yeah. Well, one of the questions, I mean, I mentioned architecture because that's just something I'm very interested in. How does the built environment shape our perception of of society and of ourselves? And I think that's very dramatically uh illustrated at a place like Sing Sing. Another issue that I think is quite interesting is the matter of of, of reform in um, at Sing Sing and other prisons. And we, we like to think of our time as as the the only time when when we've when we've been debating about uh, criminal justice reform and rehabilitation. But in fact that that story has its origins very early in the uh, in the history of prisons uh, um, in 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 the U.S. 
And there have been some very uh, influential thinkers about why uh, rehabilitation should be a, a, a goal of um, of prisons rather than uh, simply punishment or um, or uh, revenge or, uh, or or deterrence. And um, one of those thinkers was a, a man named Thomas Mott Osborne, who uh, was from Auburn, New York very prominent industrial family. Eventually the, their their business became known as International Harvester. Uh, so they were uh, producers of uh, major agricultural uh, implements or, or their business was purchased by in International Harvester. Uh, but he uh, was, uh, was uh, in that progressive period of the early 20th century. He was a good friend of Franklin Roosevelt's very connected to the political uh, hierarchy in New York State, and served as mayor of Auburn for a brief time, but then became interested in prison reform. And he uh, came to Sing Sing without any prior experience as a as a warden, uh, but became was appointed a warden of Sing Sing, uh, and um, created something called the Mutual Welfare League, which was a form of self government in which the men who were incarcerated there uh, had responsibility for the day-to-day -day, uh, discipline and operations uh, within the prison. And they had their own constitution, uh, their own um, currency and um, their own uh, uh, ball teams and, and band and uh, recreational associations. They put on an annual uh, performance review uh, for entertainment and it was it was a, a transformational uh, concept mm. uh, in terms of the morale uh, that uh, the improved morale at the uh, at the prison. However, it was so radical that a number of prisoners and a number of um, people in Albany uh, were critical of Osborne, and they brought up charges against him of uh, improper behavior and they tried to uh get him removed as warden and he he did leave for a short period of time and then he came back and the story and the the story about his return to Sing Sing is quite an amazing story the prisoners held um a parade and uh, and celebrated his return it's hard to fathom a uh, a warden being that popular uh but he only lasted another 6 months so in total from 1914 to 1916, he was only uh, the warden at Sing Sing for a brief, maybe 16 months total. But his impact was enormous. And the there's an association in New York now called the Osborne Association that's named for him and that carries on um, a lot of his work inside the prison, especially in the area of, of counseling, of, of uh, parenting. Uh, for the men who are incarcerated, um, they have a very active uh, a parenting um, program uh, that that's uh, run by the Osborne Association. Mm -hmm. And so um, there is a, there is some of it that that continues to this day. But what about the principle of um, empowering prisoners to uh, to co-manage their captivity? I don't think that that's uh, 
I don't think any of that has survived. Um, the the one program that is very um, much, well, two programs I'll mention that are in this area of reform, uh, one is called Hudson Link for Higher Education in Prison, which is based in Ossining, and also it operates at Sing Sing and about, I think, five other institutions in New York. And this is a totally uh, privately funded pro program that uh, provides uh, college-level courses uh, to uh, people who are incarcerated at the uh, at the, the, the uh, men's uh, facility and one uh, facility for women, and they have affiliations with a number of colleges who do grant who grant degrees, uh, college degrees to the to the uh, people who complete this program. And it's a game changer for them. And when they leave, um, when they leave the facility and they come home, there's a, a much higher chance of them succeeding uh, and not returning to prison um, than than for those people who 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 uh, who leave without that kind of uh, educational uh, opportunity. There's another program called Rehabilitation Through the Arts which is offered at Sing Sing and a couple of other New York facilities. And this is a program that offers um, uh, performing arts and fine arts uh, training. Uh, there are performances that are um, staged each year um, or produced each year with the men and some women um, performing uh, in, in these plays. I saw uh, Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men performed at Sing Sing a couple of years ago. Um, and, and it's not so much to teach the uh, these men and women to be actors or actresses, but to develop their self-esteem and develop their uh, confidence uh, that they can that they can succeed and, and do something other than what uh, brought them into uh, conflict with uh, with the law in the first place. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I saw myself uh, at Sing Sing an August Wilson play. Oh. It was actually wonderful because some of the characters that were uh, in the play were had life trajectories that were very similar to some yeah. of the people who were in the prison. Mm hmm Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I noticed uh, you were mentioning about uh, these programs that they increase the chances that people would not return to prison. And so uh, it feels like a very fitting language to think of it in terms of chances, in terms of percentages, as opposed to an all or nothing thing that everybody yeah. can be rehabilitated no matter what, or that uh, everybody uh, basically should be thrown away from society. So it seems yeah. like the language of statistics includes a more nuanced view about uh, you know what justice is and what uh, the role of incarceration would be, that it's not just one thing. No, that's a great point. And I think the the issue of fairness, of fair sentencing, of um what is an what is an appropriate punishment, what is a crime, you know, even uh from decade to decade, from generation to generation, what we define of, as crimes have uh, changes. Uh so I was just reading a memoir of someone who served for three years at Sing Sing in the 1830s uh, for perjury. 
uh, and he was a uh, um, a uh, a lawyer, uh, very respected. Uh, but he got on the wrong side of some political squabble in in New York, and the next thing he knows, he's serving three years at Sing Sing for perjury, which seems like a long sentence for mm-hmm. um, someone in that position. But he wrote this uh, lengthy uh, diatribe condemning. Uh, the uh, the conditions at Sing Sing, which which were um, quite quite harsh and brutal. Um, I mentioned silence and solitude. There was also a good deal of corporal punishment, a good deal of suffering, um, in um, for much of the nineteenth century. And then the whole um, concept of surveillance is a, a big part of that experience, where you're constantly being watched, and the architecture of the of the prison is designed in such a way to allow a very few small number of people to uh, keep track of and watch a much larger population. So that whole question of um, of freedom and uh, is it comes into play there. Um, I I think that uh, you know your point about um, what we how we define justice really does. It's not subjective, but it is. Uh, it does change from one generation to another. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, I was just listening to uh, something just before our conversation on on NPR about uh, capital punishment, about uh, individuals who are involved in the execution process and their uh, the impact it has on them. Uh, to have to either flip the switch or or do something participate in in uh in executing another human being and so at sing sing there were 614 executions between 1891 and 1963 mm-hmm. including the um the famous uh, execution of the rosenbergs uh julius and uh ethel rosenberg in uh, 1953 and um so Sing Sing, uh, at the same time that some of these reforms were being uh, proposed, was also the center of um, of the death penalty in this country. Um, yeah. So it's a very complex uh, story. Yeah, including how um, being a guard, being part of the guard population, shapes the guards. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. So as we're coming to an end, maybe is there something that you would want to say to close this conversation? Yeah. Well, I would encourage anyone uh, listening in or watching us to go to our website, certainly www.singsingprisonmuseum.org. And there's quite a bit of information um, about the history, but also some of our uh, the web the webinars that we have produced uh, since not since 2020 have had some interesting guest speakers uh not only about history but about contemporary issues such as wrongful conviction um uh solitary confinement uh capital punishment so i think that would be a uh, a worthwhile This is part of the Active Pause podcast. To see more and subscribe to the newsletter, go to activepause.com.